This morning, what we're going to be doing is considering two of the most important realities in life, and those realities would be love and truth. Unbelievers even know that love is important, and they know that truth is important, and yet so many times we misunderstand both of them, even on an unbeliever kind of level, and then there's the matter of the Christian life and Christianity and Christians, and we seem to be rather confused about them at times as well. Love and truth. Love is something we fall in or out of oftentimes in our thinking. Uh, It may or may not stay. It may or may not go. Uh, Truth, even though we know it's important, as soon as we get into Christianity, we start thinking that there's my truth and your truth and there's not objective truth. And before you know it, we we have a mess. And wouldn't it be just like the devil to really confuse us about two of the most important things, love and truth? Thankfully, there's a little book in the Bible that is straightforward and clear and graspable about love and truth, and that is the book we know as Second John. So if you have a Bible, you can find Second John. So there's First John, Second John, and Third John toward the end of the Bible. And we're going to look at Second John today. And Second John tells us about love, and it tells us about truth. And it will really help us to sort out Christianity and what it means to live our Christian life if we're Christians, if we understand what Second John says. Not long ago, we finished a study of First John, so yes, we're going to do Second John. Um, we might just do the whole thing today, we'll see, uh, and then we'll do Third John, and then we'll be moving, moving on from there. If you'd like an outline or just kind of how the book breaks down, um, the opening three verses are an introduction, and then verses four to six um, call us to Christian love, uh, and then verses seven to 11 call us to carefulness or vigilance about the truth of the gospel and those who would compromise it. And then verses 12 and 13 give us the conclusion. It's pretty straightforward. It's a great little book. Maybe my favorite introduction in the whole Bible. Um, it's, It's a cool, straightforward, simple introduction, but he's introducing things in the introduction that are actually going to be developed when it comes to truth and love. So, ready to go? Second John this morning, I hope you're ready to go. Um, I certainly am. Let's go ahead and look at the introduction where we read in verse 1, the elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. I think that even sounds cool. The elder to the elect lady. Somebody saw my, my notes the other day uh, in my family, and they said, Dad, who's the electric lady? And I thought, I don't know, but I kind of like the sound of that too. It sounds like a U2 song or something like that. But the elder, so John is writing, and John is old, we could say, but he's the elder, which is a synonym for pastor even, an overseer, an elder. So he's writing with apostolic pastoral authority, and he writes to the elect lady and her children, Some take that very woodenly, in a wooden literal sense. Um, I'm going to take it more figuratively. He's writing to a local church, 
Otherwise, the church is known as the bride of Christ. This is the elect lady. Another reason for taking it that way would be even because of verse 13, how it ends. The children of your elect sister greet you. I think I'm in pretty good company to, to suggest. It seems like he's speaking figuratively. He's talking uh, from, from one local church setting to another local church setting, greeting them. Uh, writing to them to encourage them about love and truth. And he even says in the introduction, whom I love in truth. And remember Jesus in John's gospel calls himself the truth. Like in John chapter 14, uh, oftentimes the truth is used by John either for Jesus himself or Jesus and all that he's done. In other words, it's used for the gospel uh, and all that it entails. So John is saying, I love you. I love you in truth. I love you because you're united to Christ and the gospel. We're, we're brothers and sisters because of our relationship with Christ. So I love you. Pretty straightforward. And not only I in verse 1, but also all who know the truth. It's a great intro. All believers, all who know the truth, all who know Christ, have a love for you because we're part of the same family. So he, he makes a great statement about unity. We may not be very good at living this out at times, but it is a real a, a reality. The electric, I mean the elect lady and her children, all the members of that local church who are being addressed. How about verse 2? Because of the truth, because of Christ, because of the gospel that abides in us, it continues in us, and will be with us forever. I love that too. The, the, the reality of eternal life, everlasting life, implication uh, given that, that Christ abides in us and we are united to Him. It's a forever kind of relationship, an eternal relationship, an eternal life relationship. And the implication would then be that this love doesn't change either because we're going to stay in the Christian family if we're Christians. So we're going to keep loving one another. That would be expected and that would be normal to have that happen. Then he says in verse 3, grace, something you don't earn, mercy, again, something that you receive when you've done the wrong thing, but you don't receive the, the, the consequence, and peace will be with us. And I wrote in my margin, will be with us in light of verse 2, forever. Those are, those are forever things. From God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son in truth, in gospel truth, in Christ's truth, and love. There's just so many great little things on there. We could do a whole sermon just on these things. This love that comes to us because of God in Christ that He's shown to us and now we're going to show to each other and it's going to be an ongoing characteristic of our life. And this is just introduction. But these are the very same themes He's going to unpack in the actual letter to encourage us to love each other as Christians. It's a mandate and it's natural because of supernatural and he's going to also emphasize the reality of the, the truth, objective, reality, gospel, historic, finished work of Jesus and what that implies and, and, and entails for us.
Maybe our next church plant could be Elect Lady Bible Church. Maybe not. Electric Lady Bible Church. Maybe not. Super intro. And now he's going to get down to business. Verses 4 to 6. And it's going to be a call to love. Maybe before we go on, we could say, well, what is love? Uh, Love... I might define it a little bit differently in different passages, but for simplicity's sake, maybe we, we could simply say love is, is treating someone appropriately. Um, even, if it, even if it's at great cost to you, because um, we love God and we love neighbor, we're called to do that. Appropriate relationships, image bearers, we love one another. And we love God as the creator, as the sovereign. We, we, we respond appropriately, and, and his love for us sets the stage for everything. His love for us cost him his unique son. There is sacrifice. He's seeking our good. And so when we love one another, we're seeking the good, the best for others, even if it might cost us something. More about that as we go, but at least what is love? It's more than a feeling, um, it's unique, it's special, it might be costly but it's what's, what's best for someone else, what's fitting for someone else. How about verse 4? I rejoiced greatly, John says. I rejoiced greatly. This is amazing. This is what I love, to find some of your children. What does that mean? Probably local church members, people who belong to that group he's addressing. I rejoiced greatly to find some who are part of that family walking in the truth. It's an image that's used in the Bible if you're not familiar with it. Walking is, is, is living. It's carrying uh, how you carry yourself, how you live your life, how you conduct yourself. It's just your, your actions in life. I, I'm so thrilled. John is the more mature pastor, Christian, apostle. I am so encouraged that some of your children are walking in the truth. That they're, they're, in other words, they're living their lives in light of what God has done for them. They're living their lives in light of God's love for them and it's showing up that we're going to see in context that they're loving each other. He says in, after, he says in verse 4, after the comma, just as we were commanded by the Father. They're doing what people are supposed to do. And they're doing what Christians are supposed to do now that they've been reconciled to God, now that they've experienced God's love. And here the pastor's heart is warmed. He's rejoicing. I love to see this. This is great. What could be problematic, though, is the some word, S-O-M-E. They've got some work to do. Some people are confused about love. Some people are thinking, well, I'll I'll do what's right for somebody else once everybody does what's right for me. Or maybe this is optional. I don't really have to do this. I don't really have any obligations. No. What's great is when Christians are doing the right thing. If you want to summarize the right thing for Christians, they're loving. Shows itself in a lot of different ways, but... You want to summarize the Christian life? I'm going to live a life of doing what's best for other people and not having the universe revolve around me. I'm loving God, and out of my love for God, I'm going to love other people. And he's just warm-hearted. This is great. And that's what happens, right? 
It doesn't thrill me. The thing that warms a mature pastor's heart is not, oh, we've got more people. More, more offering. Oh, another building program. No, here's this godly, mature pastor, John, and he is rejoicing because children, believers, are walking in the truth. That's definitely going on. This is a bit of an aside, but I'm going to make it related because I didn't want to make an extra announcement. But I heard it when I was on vacation. I heard from two of our former pastoral interns, Jeff Gonzalez, who just graduated from seminary, Jeff and Julie. Uh, and then I also heard from Scott Mullenberg, Scott and Becca. They both graduated from seminary. And Scott has taken a church, is taking a church in Minnesota. And Jeff is going to take a church in Washington State. That warmed my heart. But that doesn't fit the illustration, so let me tweak it a little bit. But I, I, I was so encouraged when they called me. I said, you know, in all the right senses, I said to each of these men, I'm so proud of you. Again, not in an ungodly way, but... And so I wanted to tell you that. But what's going to encourage each of those young pastors... isn't a new building program. What's going to bring them joy is not bigger offerings, not if they're godly and mature. What's going to bring them joy, which is what brings any elder joy, is seeing the children of God walking in the truth. It's awesome. And you don't just have to be a pastor to think that's awesome. You see other Christians... Bearing fruit. The fruit of the Spirit, top of the list, is love. The Spirit of God is alive and well, working in that person's heart. I love that. Christians love to see that. Not just elders and pastors. There's nothing quite like it. And so he's encouraging them. He's, he's being positive toward them. Verse 5 says, And now I ask you, dear lady... Dear local church and its leaders and all who were involved as members. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning that we love one another. There it is. This isn't novel. That, that might be a little poke at the false teachers trying to always peddle something new and novel. He's going to deal with them later in the letter. And John's saying, I'm just giving you Christianity 101 from what's been from the beginning. Now, maybe he has in mind from the very beginning because this has been from the very beginning, right? Ever since there have been human beings, God's expectation has been that you would love him and love fellow human beings. He might have that in mind or he might have in mind ever since there's been Christianity. Both are true. I kind of lean toward the latter. Because before we were supposed to love God and we don't. It's the right thing to do. We're supposed to love Him as God. We're supposed to love neighbor uh, as 
neighbor and we don't do it. And so we're guilty because we don't keep God's commandment. And this isn't good for us. This is bad for us. His commandment is burdensome to borrow from what first John says. And then we, we enter into a new relationship with God when we believe in Jesus. When we trust in Jesus, we're trusting in the one who died for our sin of not loving God and not loving neighbor appropriately. So the guilt is gone. And when we trust in Jesus, we not only receive forgiveness, we also receive the positive side of what he's done right. Jesus came and fulfilled the obligation. He loved God perfectly. He loved neighbor perfectly. And that perfection is credited to us. And now, (laughs) new relationship with God, obligation has been met in Jesus. So from the beginning of my new Christian life, my new desire is to do what's right. Because I'm not under condemnation for doing what's wrong anymore. I have a new life, a new heart. Because of the Spirit of God, I can bear fruit. And now love is something I'm able to do, capable of doing. And it's extraordinary because I'm not living out of fear anymore, of condemnation. Yes! Kind of stuff. So I kind of lean toward, that's what he has in mind. From the beginning of your Christian life, this has been something you're now doing. Expected of doing. Maybe just one more thing about that. Remember, the obligation has always been the same. Do the right thing. Well, we don't, so we're condemned. But in Christ, we're justified, we're reconciled. But still, the obligation is still to do the right thing, which is loving God and loving neighbor. This isn't new. This is the same, but we're new in Christ. If We have a new relationship with God. But still the same command. How about verse 6? And this is love. I really like the awkwardness of this sentence. At least I think it's awkward. And this is love. There's lots of talk about love. Maybe even by the false teachers. There's lots of misunderstandings about love. And here John, under apostolic authority, lays down the law. This is love. You want to talk about love? This is love. Let's be clear about this. This is extraordinary. That we walk according to his commandments. And here we are. Love? Commandment? We, we're, 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 we're fed and fed and force fed. Anything but thinking love and commandment belong in the same sentence. Other than if, if there's a does not equal sign. No, this is, this is love. We do what God says. And by the way, God says love. And now we can in Christ. This is the commandment. Or excuse me, this is love that we walk according to His commandments, that we do what God wants us to do. That Now we're loving. In light of His love for us, we love. Okay, let's keep going. This is the commandment. Just as you have heard from the beginning so that you should walk in it. New life in Christ. God, you've done this for me in Christ. I want to do what's right. What, What would you have me to do, Lord? I would have you to do what human beings are always supposed to do. It's been what's best from the very beginning. I would have you to love. I would have you to seek what is best for others. 
by the way, in contrast with ungodliness, which the Apostle Paul, in his list of ungodly characteristics, says, lovers of self. He puts that right in the same list as greed. Oh, what, what does God want? You want to boil down the Christian life? How about this? In one word, you can boil down all of the Christian life. What does God want from me? Love. Seeking the best for someone else. It would make sense that a pastor would rejoice when that happens because that, that's true Christian living. It would make sense when Christians are encouraged. That's just true Christian living. Now, some people say, you don't have to do that. Some people say, it doesn't matter what you do. None, John's saying, wait a second. You're, you're united to Christ by faith, and all these other people are united to Christ by faith, and so you do need to do this. This, this just makes sense. So maybe countering a false teacher who would say, here, pray this prayer, repeat after me, and it doesn't matter how you live your life. And John is saying it, re- it really matters how you live your life. Not to be saved. But because you are. Do the right thing. So it's not just some of you. This is what everybody is doing. Think about, this is super practical. Think about whether it would be somebody you work with, somebody you're friends with, somebody you're married to, someone in your family. I mean, you, you just, you name it. And in this case, he's talking about Christian love. That, a different sermon for a different time to talk about loving our enemies. That's true too. Just loving fellow human beings. That's true too. But in this particular context, you're in Christ by faith and I'm in Christ by faith, meaning united to Christ. We should love each other. So you can ask the question. If I'm thinking about a, my wife, what should I do that would be best for her? Now my bent, because I'm not perfected yet, is to do what's best for moi, right? Fruit of the Spirit, supernaturally, what would be best for her? And you, if you have children, you could use children as an example. If you have a parent, you can use your parent as an example. If you have friends... You can use them as an example. Christians that you've gone sideways with, you can use them as an example. We could just start right here in a local church because he's writing to a local church. I should be seeking to love you, which would, which would be doing what would be best for you and not necessarily what I want. probably the hardest thing in the world to do well. But it's what we're called to do. So you want to disciple someone and help them to learn, to grow and mature as a Christian, you can really keep it simple to one word, even though it's super complex when it comes to living it out. But as you see it happening, you're with John and you say, I I rejoice greatly that this is happening.
New life brings love. Galatians 5, fruit of the Spirit, new life in the Spirit. And again, I've already referenced it, but I'm just going to go ahead and quote 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. And I would suggest to you that they really were burdensome before because we had no power, no spirit. And they were burdensome because we knew, according to God's Word and even His law written on our hearts, His commandments are burdensome because as we continue to fail, we continue to be reminded of our condemnation. Same command, same commandments, but now they're not burdensome. I'm in Christ. I've already been justified. I've already been accepted. I already have peace with God. And now out of this, again, as old Christians used to say, and we should say, out of gratitude... It's not burdensome anymore. Free to love. Okay, ready to move on? There are a million how-tos. But the one size that fits all, by the way, John didn't give all the how-tos. But the one size it fits all is what is best for, you can fill in the blank. If you could work today on living your Christian life and for the rest of your Christian life, what is best for Molly, Pat, whoever it might be, you're on your way to loving them and acting like you're a fellow child of God, belonging in the same family. I had a weird experience not long ago, and I I was kind of forced into a situation where I had to spend about an hour with someone who I know, I'm going to overstate it, I pretty much would say hates my guts. (laughs) I know that's hard to believe that anybody would, but... I used to think that. I used to think, man, if you're a pastor and you just teach the Bible, all Christians will just love it. I was so dumb. <laughs> I must not have read 1 Corinthians or something. But anyway, it was, it, was, it was weird. Now, these kind of things have been on my mind, so obviously I'm thinking, I think this person is a Christian based upon what they've said. and How am I just going to love this person? Awkward. Right? Now, as we transition to go to the latter part of the letter, we might be prone to thinking, this means accept everyone. You know, love, 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 love. And somehow we think the Christian life, even though it for sure is about love, that there can never be any place for anything critical. And John doesn't want us to to think that either because he's going to emphasize the truth of the gospel 
Because you don't, if you don't have the truth of the gospel, by the way, you don't have any new position with God. You don't have any reconciliation. You don't have any forgiveness. You don't have any new spirit who can produce fruit. And so it's very interesting how he's going to talk about the, the, the truth of the gospel, the reality about Christ, and how you've got to defend that, and how you need to be intolerant toward those who would compromise that reality, because if you're not, you actually won't have any love. So they're not mutually exclusive, fascinatingly enough. Now, Christians aren't very good at understanding this sometimes, and then we're not very good at communicating it, and so people really don't understand when we are going to do anything critical. But he now, lest we forget, he's going to do a really strong and good job of helping us to know that it's important, it's vital, it's absolutely crucial that we, we stand up and stand against any compromises of this gospel. Because, by the way, there wouldn't be any love if we don't have it. So here's a call to vigilance, the latter part of the letter. How are we doing? We're going to get this all done in one someday. This is amazing. Maybe we should go back to the other verses and talk about those for a while. No, we won't do that. Let's keep going. How about verse 7? Here's the call to vigilance. Not not contrary to love, but complementing love. Verse 7 says, For many deceivers, not a few, but many, many deceivers have gone out into the world... Maybe just populating the world in general, but maybe it seems more likely the way John uses it. They've gone out into the world from churches. They, they, they used to be with us, like First John chapter 2 talks about, but they, they've left. They, don't know, they no longer hold to the, the basics of the, the gospel. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. It could mean either, I don't know, but let's keep going. Those who do not confess or agree with the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. You might want to duck for that bullet. It's like, wow, take cover. But I think it's because of, of the, the, the need to emphasize love and protect love that he's actually doing this. You have to understand this. If there is someone who doesn't confess, agree with the truth about Jesus coming in the flesh, and I think that's shorthand for real person coming here and real work, redeeming redemption work, Fulfilling God's law, the obligation to love, forgiveness, and all of those things. If anyone, anyone doesn't affirm that as the Christians do and as the apostles do and as Christianity always has, if they don't affirm that, such a one is, he even says, the deceiver and the antichrist. It's not Christian. You know, you know what we're going to hear from that, right? That's not loving. That's not loving. Well, it's not very loving to tell lies about Jesus either. It's not very loving to steal the title Christian. And say Jesus was just a good teacher. Jesus, it was just the spirit that came and it wasn't really one of us to accomplish for us what we need to have accomplished for us. He, you, you could just go down the list. That's not loving. And by the way, we don't have love if we don't have Christ because we're still condemned. And so he really does take the gloves off. 
so that we wouldn't misunderstand. If you don't agree with the church, and I mean the church biblical, the church universal, what the church, uh, to borrow from Jude, the once and for all delivered to the saints' faith, the truth about Jesus. It's not talking about disagreement over the color of the carpet. The truth about Jesus and what he accomplishes on behalf of his people, person and work, Antichrist. Takes a hard line. They're the deceiver. I don't know about you who are parents, but I try to teach my kids about deception all the time. And everyone here has had parents, and if your parents were even trying, they tried to help you understand about deception so you wouldn't be deceived. Don't get in the car with strangers, even if they say nice things. There's a lot of deceivers out there. I got a phone call this week, voicemail. Um, your social security has been associated with, you know, felony, blah, 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 blah. Call right away. And I was like, you know, it makes you mad. I'm like, what I do? <laughs> and I wanted to show my kids, you know what? This kind of stuff happens all the time. These weird emails. And I said to my kids, a lot of times they pray, they, they pray on people who are young and inexperienced their parents didn't help them think this stuff through. Or sometimes when people are old and not really up with technology and things like that. It's bad. It's evil. Deception. But here, how much more important, we're talking about spiritual deceivers. And John is saying, listen. Yeah, we just got done talking about love, but you've got to make sure you understand that the world is filled with people who at one point in time were associated with biblical Christianity and they tell lies about Jesus. And you just need to know that they're not just part of a different denomination. They're part of a different spiritual sphere. They belong to the Antichrist, the deceiver. So we, we want to make sure that we have it straight, have it straightforward. Is he being judgmental? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's an abundance of deceivers. They make promises, but they're actually lies. I remember my dad was fond of saying, there's a sucker born every minute. I don't want to be a sucker. Especially when it comes to spiritual things. A lot of people say a lot of things about Jesus. Some of you watch them on TV. Some of you read their books. If they don't confess, agree with the basic truths about Jesus, person and work, they're not Christian. In fact, he uses the big club. They're anti-Christian. I read a survey years ago. I've mentioned it several times. It said the main thing people are looking for in a pastor is an open and affirming spirit and someone who is not critical. So I hope you find that pastor. <laughs> open and affirming, right? Loving true Christians. 
But the very same thing that warmed John's heart, watching Christians love one another, walking in the truth, the very, very same book, same setting, he's saying, watch out. Because you're not called to love those deceivers the same way. Maybe as an enemy, different story, different book of the Bible, different chapter, different sermon. How about the command there in verse 8? Watch yourselves. Be vigilant. Be on guard. Be on the lookout. So that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Think about all the churches that are started. Here, he's writing from a church setting to a church. The elect lady. Church of the elect lady. It's so good. He's writing to the church of the elect lady. And he's writing. And and, and think how many churches start like that church. And it's a true church. What do they want to do? They want to preach the gospel because the gospel isn't being preached. They want to preach God's word, the full counsel of God, because it's not being heard or whatever it might be. Very few churches at least historically, are started because they want to tell lies about Jesus. But then think about how many of them enjoy the terrible drift, not to mention seminaries. That's a fascinating historical study. He's saying, hey, you work so hard for this. I mean, I think about even like churches or seminaries. I'm thinking of one particular seminary. I won't name it. But think about how it used to be super good and known for, for, for standing for the truth and for the faith and uh, vigilant. And think about all the people that sacrifice their time, all the people who sacrifice their money, endowments and all this kind of stuff. People leave their fortunes to it. And then you fast forward however many generations and now it's like, what in the world is coming out of that place? And I just think of like little old ladies sacrificing, saving their money to make sure they supported the school because there'd be another generation of faithful preachers. John is saying, this is what we've worked for. If you're not vigilant about the truth about Jesus, we're going to lose everything. It's just going to be a building. Verse 9 says, Everyone, so inclusive, no respecter of persons, regardless of past positives, everyone who goes ahead, everyone who, who does something novel, they want a name for themselves, they're creative in their theology regarding Jesus, everyone who goes ahead and does not abide or continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. <laughs> That's another zinger. could be teaching from Christ or teaching about Christ. Both would be true. I read a biography of Charles Hodge on vacation. Charles Hodge taught uh, at Princeton Seminary, which is not what I was thinking of before, um, for I think 56 years. And, And one great quote from Charles Hodge was, he was the third professor there, so this is some, some multiple generations ago. 
his goal under his watch as the chair of theology would be that no new idea would ever be taught at Princeton Seminary. He's also said, and this isn't the exact quote, that he didn't want to make a name for himself because if he made a name for himself, it would be proof he was a heretic. Fascinating. Just makes me think of what John says there. Who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ. They don't have God. Before we end, I mean, what, what I'm getting at in all that and what he was getting at, by the way, is again, if, if Christianity is about the historic work of Jesus, that he came here, lived, died, rose again, and accomplished redemption... That's a, that's a historic reality. Oh, and he spoke and therefore interpreted the meaning of what he did, not to mention his apostles. The, the, we, our understanding might get better, but the facts don't change. That's what I meant by that. Jude, that's why Jude says it's a once and for all faith. Now, I do want to zero in. This is a little bit of an aside, but I think it's important for us. I do want to zero in, please, if you would notice, in what is said in verse 9, where it says, goes on ahead and does not abide in the, continue or abide in the teaching of Christ, does not have God. You all should know that verse. If you don't abide in the teaching of Christ, you don't have God. And in your life and in my life, we'll face different kinds of challenges Christians always have when we have to decide whether or not we believe what Jesus says and the truth about Jesus or the truth, quote, scare quotes, of what our culture is currently into. And I have to say, even when my beliefs don't match with what the culture is telling me I must believe or I'm hateful, I used to have to say, you know, I'm a Christian. And so I believe what Jesus says and, and I have no other option. So when Jesus says, here's where I'm going in Matthew chapter 19, that from the beginning it's been a man and a woman in marriage, male and female, I don't really have an option. Because if I don't abide in the teaching of Christ, I don't have God. It doesn't mean I can't be kind and gracious and winsome with all different kinds of people. But in the name of Christ, as a Christian and, and as a Christian pastor... It's really good to remember. It's kind of frightening, but it's good to remember if I don't continue in the teachings of Christ, I don't have God. And I really like it when people like me. 
But more importantly, I want to have God. So just tuck that away in your mind. It's not what John is dealing with directly, but secondarily, it's within the pale. And then we have, finally, the closing. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, the teaching regarding Jesus, the teaching regarding the teaching of Jesus, but they're claiming to be Christians. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Is he talking about your personal residence? Maybe. We could apply it there. Or since he's writing to a local church, is he talking about the house of worship? I definitely think that, but both would apply. If someone is telling you something other than what's true about Jesus, his person and work and teaching, and they're claiming to be Christians, you say, no, we're not going to have it. We're going to have nothing to do with this. We're not going to welcome you in to be a guest speaker or to affirm you as a Christian. As a matter of fact, we're not going to encourage you in any way, shape, or form. And I think that's what he means when he says a greeting. We're not going to give you any kind of Christian greeting. We might be kind. We might be generous. We might show them all kinds of kindnesses. But we don't affirm their Christianity because they've shown themselves to be antichrist. I told my daughter, I I first wanted to call this sermon, Get Off of My Porch. (laughs) But you get the idea. There's much more involved in, in, in this book. We could say more. We probably should say more. You're hoping I don't say more. (laughs) Jesus deals with false teachers in a certain way, and he deals with those who've been misled by false teachers in a different way. He brings correction to both of them, but he definitely takes a different posture, and so do his apostles. And I definitely do, and I would encourage you as well. If someone is in teacher leading recruiting mode, I treat them a certain way with a certain kind of stance. And when it's my next door neighbor who is deceived, I definitely take a different tact. And maybe we could do a whole series on that kind of stuff. We won't do it this morning. How about final verses? Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be made complete. Ah, The joy came before for Christians doing the right thing and he thinks by coming he could encourage them even more to do the right thing to make our joy complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that it is good news to us that we can have reconciliation with you and that you don't hold our sins against us anymore because of Christ and what he's done. And thank you for the fact that we can have reconciliation and we do have reconciliation with one another because we're part of the same spiritual family because of Christ. We're grateful for this. May we be men and women and boys and girls who want to tell unbelievers about this, who want to tell believers about this, and who want to be faithful ambassadors. Help us also to be watchful and careful whether we are here or somewhere else. In Jesus' name, amen.